0: Hello and welcome to the Top 8 Mistakes Restaurant Operators Make When Negotiating Soft Drink Contracts. Hi, I'm Ben, Ben Kate. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Bev Trust Associates, and I'll be your host for today. We're going to talk about mistakes that people make when they go to negotiate their soft drink contract with Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper uh, for their restaurant chain. So let's dive right in. These are the recurring mistakes that we see most often. We review hundreds of contracts. With thousands of data points, we know what's normal and what's exceptional in these contracts. Over time, we've been able to see these recurring simple mistakes that keep cropping up. And hopefully this will help you. As we go through it, take a look at your own contract and your own process and see if you see any of these things. It's likely you will because we see them all the time. There are many other mistakes. A lot of them are worse. These happen in almost every single soft drink contract or negotiation that we see. And correcting these basic issues usually leads to a much improved outcome. Let's look at the first one. First one is accepting a volume commitment for no reason. A volume commitment makes the contract very predictable for the soft drink companies. They can exactly predict the maximum amount they're gonna spend on you, because they know that you've committed to buy a certain number of gallons or cases from them. But it makes it very unpredictable for the restaurant operators, because of price increases, declines in consumptions, uh, fluctuations in the number of locations that you have, All kinds of reasons make a volume commitment a little bit dangerous. Plus, carbonated beverage volume has been in a steady decline since 2004. In fact, in 2004, more than 8 out of 10 non-alcoholic beverages sold in the US were carbonated beverages. Today, that number is 5 out of 10, and the decline continues. So basing your volume expectations on today's run rate is really likely to elongate the term of the contract. We see so many volume commitments that are outsized relative to the time commitment of the contract. If you don't get a loan from your soft drink partner, in other words, if you don't take money up front, you don't need to sign a volume commitment. They'll ask you for one, they'll try to put it in your contract, but don't do it. Just strike it. Make it a time-bound contract. Let's look at the second one, unlimited price increases. Have you seen a manufacturer demand rapid price increases for a product that's experiencing a decline in demand? If you've purchased fountain soft drinks, you've seen it. Fountain soft drink syrup prices have increased at a rate more than 50% higher than inflation. And that's without any regard to the underlying commodity input pricing. In other words, they raise prices without any regard whatsoever to what their inputs are. So, negotiating some form of price protection into your agreement, it won't keep price increases from happening, but it will make the increases more reasonable. Limit soft drink companies' increases. It can be a tough negotiation, but getting a palatable level is possible if you approach it correctly. There is a way to do it. You got to get them to some negotiated level of increase rather than letting them take whatever increase they want. And you've seen it over the last couple of years. They've taken 5% increases for the last two years. They used to be in the 3% range. Now they're in the 5% range. So you've got to do something to limit it because next year it could be 6%, 7%, 8%. There was a year about uh, 10 years ago when they had a 7% increase. So limit it. Let's look at the third one. I love the folks in marketing. They are incredibly creative people, and their job is a really tough one. A lot of chains in the restaurant industry leave the soft drink negotiation to the marketing people. Is that a good idea? Well, according to Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, and anybody else in the soft drink industry, that's where they'd like you to leave it because that's where they can get the most out of their soft money promises. In other words, When the marketing people are in charge, you're gonna end up with a contract that's heavily soft money related rather than cash because the marketing people wanna extract as many marketing concessions out of the soft drink company as they possibly can. Now that's fine, but it's not good if you're trying to get the best possible price. If you wanna get a great contract, that meets best in class demands of the industry, you've got to take it out of the hands of marketing and put it in the hands of professional supply chain people. Soft drink companies love dealing with marketing. Marketing's in their wheelhouse. That's the department where soft money is appreciated. When marketing owns the relationship, the soft drink account executive is deemed to have done his or her job well. The marketing department's not primarily concerned with food cost and driving efficiency. They're concerned with driving traffic, brand building, and communications. They do it well. Put the negotiation in the hands of the professional purchasing and supply chain people. Otherwise soft money will win. Have the professional negotiators who are not marketers do the negotiation to maximize the cash. Number four relationships are important but don't rely on them to get the best soft drink deal relationships are great you know they can pull you out of the fire when you really need help and it's important to have a good relationship with your soft drink partner but the soft drink company account executives role is mainly to build a relationship with you that will prevent you from using the leverage you have To lower your soft drink costs through negotiation. Those World Series tickets, the Super Bowl tickets, the trips to the Masters, they're terrific, but don't accept them during a negotiation. Assign someone to be the relationship person and assign someone else to run the negotiation. Don't let the relationship person overrule the negotiator. Put all relationship building on hold while you're negotiating a new soft drink contract. Your relationship will be improved once you know you're not paying more than you should. I've seen this a million times. Somebody, a president of a brand, will tell me I have a great relationship with so-and-so at Coke or Pepsi. I know I've got a good deal because they told me I've got a good deal. Well, the fact is they didn't have a good deal. They almost never have a good deal if they say they've got a great relationship. Now, that's not always true, but more often than not, If they're not benchmarking it, they don't have a good deal. Put the relationship on hold, do the negotiation, and pick up where you left off. Your relationship will be better after the hard-nosed negotiation. Number five, relying on your soft drink supplier to drive beverage incidents. Coke and Pepsi use incidents driving sales pitches as ways to get you to talk about price less. They say, each of them say, they can drive incidents better than the other. Each of them say, you will sell more soft drinks, make more profit, if you use their products, their brands, and their people. What's the truth? It's true that small movements and incidents have a big impact on your gross profit. Unfortunately, what the soft drink companies usually do is sign a contract and leave you alone to raise your own incidents they're not really in a position to drive the process. If you're serious about driving incremental soft drink sales, you'll have to rely on your own organization to lead the charge. Have someone in your own company leading the incident's charge. Coke or Pepsi can help with the effort, and they both have resources that can really help improve your soft drink profit, but they need you to lead the charge. Focus on the negotiation, focus on cash focus on real money focus on your real needs not on who can better drive incidents they both have the same resources they can both help you drive incidents neither can lead it number six let's talk about dr pepper if your soft drink partner is charging you to have dr pepper on the fountain make sure you get that same amount from dr pepper Dr. Pepper invests nothing in equipment or service or any infrastructure whatsoever. So their contract should be much more simple and much less restrictive. Don't ever accept use or lose clauses in a Dr. Pepper contract. What's a use or lose clause? Well, in the contract it says you have to use this money we've got set aside for things that we approve. In other words, the Dr. Pepper rep has to approve it and you have to use it in that year, otherwise you lose the money. Don't accept that. They should either pay you the money or use it for you on stuff that you want to use it for. And if you don't have a use for it that year, it should carry over. And if it carries over to the end of the contract, they should pay it out at the end of the contract. There should never be a use or lose clause. Make sure they have price protection that's equal to or greater than your primary soft drink supplier. Also. I get the question, do I really need Dr. Pepper? If you're in Texas, maybe Oklahoma, maybe Arkansas, the answer is maybe. You probably want to have Dr. Pepper on your fountain. But anywhere else, Dr. Pepper is a low-share brand. There's not any imperative that says you have to have Dr. Pepper anywhere else. Texas is the big deal. So, play hardball with Dr. Pepper. Make sure the contract is equal to or better than your primary soft drink contract and keep them at bay. Number seven, the myth of free equipment. There's no such thing as free equipment. Equipment is valued as part of the overall spending profile. It is never free. If you get more free equipment than you need, that means you're gonna get less cash than you need. There's a whole deal and part of that deal is the amount of money that the soft drink company has to spend on equipment. The more you spend on equipment, the less cash there is. The amount of, of money that the soft drink company charges you for the equipment is sometimes double what they carry on their books for the equipment depreciation. Double. Make sure you understand the underlying financials of the equipment. What is the cost of the equipment from the manufacturer? Is the equipment going to be remanufactured equipment or brand new? Make the right decisions regarding ownership, loan, lease or financing because it can dramatically affect how much money you get in your soft drink deal. Don't accept more equipment than you really need because if you do that, you're getting less cash than you can possibly get. Number eight, service. Don't accept More or less mechanical service than you really need. First, examine the service records carefully. Ask Coke or ask Pepsi for a service report and see how much service you're actually using. The more service you get and the more they spend on service, the less cash you have available in your deal. Not enough service calls means more service expense for you. So get the right amount of service built into the deal instead of just accepting the standard calls. A good rule of thumb is three calls per year per location. That's the national average for how many calls a typical food service location will use in one year. Three. It's actually 2.8. Know that if you're using a touchscreen machine like Freestyle or Spire, typically service incidence is six times higher. Those machines are... Uh, topic for another discussion. Just know that that's six times higher uh, for service with those machines. And that about sums it up. That is all eight of the common mistakes that restaurant operators make. If you'd like help with your soft drink negotiations, or if you'd like a free benchmarking, make sure to get in touch with BevTrust. We're at bevtrust.com. Thanks for listening. This is Ben Kitay.